good morning. Um, I'm glad that everyone is able to be here today. I expected us to have less numbers today because of Thanksgiving, but it's great to see that we have enough. Even if one, pe- one person showed up, we still praise Jesus the same. Amen. And um, so about me, my name is Pedro, and I'm on staff here as one of the pastors, and um, I love this place. In January, me and my wife will be here for three years. So that's a long time, I know. We're City Light veterans. I think the lifespan around here is like a year and a half or something like that. Um, yeah, but we are, we're glad that you guys are here. I also, somehow I always, Justin always tells me I'm going to preach the Sunday right after a holiday. So I'm usually stressed out during holidays. But um, I'm really happy that we just had this day and this week to celebrate Thanksgiving. A time where we hopefully calmed ourselves down a little bit, put food in our bellies, spent time with people that we really love and care about and who fill us up, and that, you sh- that we should have spent time thanking God for what he's done for us this year. That um, I know that all of our life situations are not exactly where we always want them to be, even if your prayer and thanksgiving was just, Jesus, thank you that I'm still here for another year. That's a prayer that God can use in powerful ways. Um, That if that's your most honest prayer in difficult times, God takes those prayers and he makes great things out of them. Amen? So if you haven't given yourself some time to reflect and think about how good God has been to you, um, I encourage you to do that today before work starts for most of us tomorrow. All right? And also, today is the first time I actually get to stand in front of you guys since the announcement. So Justin's announcement. So I wanted to spend a couple of minutes in that because my heart is for this church and I love this place and I love our community. And so as a pastor and as a friend, I just wanted to encourage us to do two things in this season. The first thing is that we should be really honest with our feelings and process them really well. That a lot of times it does hurt to say goodbye to a friend. It does hurt at times to say goodbye to a leader, someone who's influential to you in your life. Um, But it's good for you to process through those emotions. If you are pretty good with that, then then praise God, that's awesome. Um, Let's send Justin out and bless him and him and his family for the work that he has for them. But if you are under the camp where you're kind of struggling a little bit emotionally or even just because he was a good friend, Um, I encourage you to process through those emotions. Pray through them. In your prayer life, actually go to Jesus and ask him to help you because as a community, we need to be healthy for one another and for Justin so that we can send them off and bless them and so that they can go and do the work that the Holy Spirit has for them no matter where they are. Amen? Uh, It might be difficult, but that's the task that we're given as a community who loves Jesus, is that we need to take care of one another at all times and hold one another up. And that also makes us have to go through our emotions a little bit more honestly at times. Amen? See, uh, I have a a slightly different perspective along these lines is because I'm an immigrant here in this country. So I'm well acquainted with goodbyes. Uh, Even though I don't always get the chance to say goodbye to people in my life, the threat of a goodbye is always there. And even though I've spent most of my life here, growing up, a lot of the people around me could leave at, at any time. There were people in our lives, in our church, because we grew up 
in Brazilian church who one week they were here, the next week they were gone. And so it's a great opportunity whenever in life you have to say goodbye to someone well because uh, it's an honor and because goodbyes are emotionally really difficult, but they also mature you and they grow you and they help you to remember that it's important to live life where you are at all times. Um, I did this program mission year where there was a start date and an end date. And so part of the important part of knowing when your time is ending is because then you can start focusing on how you're going to say goodbye to people and do it really well. And so as a community, let's do that. Let's do that for one another so that we can also recommit to those of us who stay here all the time. Amen? Um, a couple months ago, we had a couple, Carmen and Eddie, and I love them. It was really difficult when they left. They made the decision to go back to Australia, where Carmen was from. And they made the decision to go back, and then they had like a couple of months, four months, three months, something like that, uh, until they were able to leave. And in those four months, they jump, really jumped in like they hadn't even before. And they started to come to everything that we did, and they started to develop really good relationships. And it was always really fun. I was like, why couldn't you guys have done this all along? But I was really grateful for the time that we did have with them because goodbyes should be difficult. They should be hard. Um, and so, yeah, let's process through this season so that not only just for Justin and his family, but so that we can go forward together even stronger than we were before all this. Amen? So that's my pastoral soapbox for the day. Uh, let's go to today's sermon. We're going to be in Mark 8. Um, and before you really turn, Tony, can you follow with me? I don't even have the clicker. I didn't even bring it up. But um, before we really jump into here, I just want to pray. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit has the room today to do whatever he wants to do, uh, to show us what he did in the story and why it's so important for our lives. So let me pray for us real quick. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that this week we, had to, we got to celebrate Thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for all of the ways that you've provided for me in my life and for our church and all of the individuals in here, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you're the one who is able to bring life out of the most desolate situations in life, Lord. And uh, I pray that your spirit would be here in instructing us and teaching us, Lord. And we rely on you. We trust in you. And so please speak to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark 8 today, verses 1 through 10. Uh, it starts off, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry for their homes to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Let me reread that one, it's important. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. 
And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these, that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, he sent them away, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Awesome. I think this is a story that a lot of us, if you grew up in the church, and even if you didn't, if you know anything about Jesus, this is one of the stories that you might know. Uh, Also, two chapters before this, Jesus fed another group of 5,000 people. So sometimes we jumble these two stories and just think that it was one time. But Jesus actually did this twice. And um, both feedings answered kind of different questions. But before we even go into that, we need to talk about something that starts off this whole event. And it's Jesus' compassion. You know, we can't go any further into this sermon without realizing that he fed this time, he fed the 4,000 and he fed the 5,000 explicitly because he had compassion on them. You know, thank God for Jesus' compassion to us. Thank God that God shows his compassion to us. A lot of times there are things in the church that we always grow up saying, you know, like, oh, God is love, God is good. And we might not know concrete examples as to how to explain this. This story here can serve as a powerful reminder to your own heart and the people around you who don't know Christ. When you say God has compassion on people, you point them to this story. Because there was this group of 4,000 people who spent three days with him without food. And when Jesus saw them suffering, when he saw that they had nothing, he said, hey guys, we need to feed them. We don't have bread, but we need to feed these people. Thank God for his compassion on us. Because without it, man, where would we be? Where would any one of us be? Thank Jesus. I thank him for his compassion. You know, one of my favorite storylines in all of Scripture is actually how God shows us his love for us over and over and over again. You know, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed, God, out of compassion, killed some animals and made clothes for them. Another powerful reminder to me is when Elijah, Justin talked about this a couple weeks ago, when Elijah went up against the prophet of Baal and he killed thousands of men and then he ran to the king of Israel and he confronted him and Jezebel and he realized that nothing had changed, his reaction was, I'm done. He, he told his servant to go away. He ended his ministry. He went away and he was praying, God, can you kill me? To him in that moment, death was better than what he was going through. And you know what, Jesus, what God's answer to that was? He let him have a nap, and he sent an angel to cook him food. You guys should check that story out. It's really nice. All throughout Scripture, God is always taking care of every single one of our needs. His compassion shines through in every page of the Bible, and it's up to us to know, to see it, that God loves us, and he's, dead. he's serious about his compassion towards us. For us, I think about compassion, and I'm, I just think, and in the story, compassion clearly is not just an emotion, but it's an action. That Jesus saw this problem. He saw that these people were three days with him and had no food. How many of us pray for ten minutes without falling asleep? These people were with him for three days, and he had to do something to help them, and so he gave them bread. You know, thank God for his compassion. And so the one, another thing that I think we really need to focus on to get really the heart of what Jesus was doing here was really in the mission statement. Tony, if you could put up that mission statement slide. 
You see, everything that Jesus did intentionally had like a mission statement. It had a purpose. Jesus wasn't always just aimlessly running around doing all these crazy things. At times, like when the woman with the issue of the bleeding touched him and she was cured, yeah, he was probably not walking around, oh, she's right there, let me go a little bit here. Oh, she's going to touch me. That probably wasn't the case. But then when Jesus actually intentionally does something, it's for a reason. And today's mission statement, I've just been thinking about it in terms of a mission statement in my mind all week. And so the mission statement for this for this miraculous thing, it really comes in chapter, in verse 4 that I reread. Jesus was answering this one question that they posed him. How can one feed these people with bread in this desolate place? If I had to reword that question a little bit, if I was there, I was, my question would be, Jesus, can you really bring life in dead places? That was the obstacle that Jesus was coming against in this, in this feeding right now. Jesus, we're starting to get a glimpse of who you are. We're starting to get a glimpse of what you can do. But do you really expect us to believe that you can bring life out of the desolate place? I think that is so important and such a good question for them to ask. Now, it's a little funny that this comes only two chapters after the last feeding. Clearly, yes, he can do this. But this one had a different question. And it was Jesus when there's nothing around, when there's even no life around here, can you make something good come out of it? And so, I love this question. I love the question that they ask him, and I love that Jesus was even bigger to actually show them that he was. You know, another really cool detail about this passage, as opposed to the feeding of the 5,000, that's actually really important in understanding these stories, is that the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 happened in Israel. By this time, they were in the region of, of Tyre and Sidon, near the Decapolis. And so this, talk about desolate place, this wasn't even in Israel. The question here is even heightened now. It's, Jesus, can you produce life even in dead people? Can you produce life in the wrong places? in the places where we don't expect, yeah, we expect you to work in Israel. We expect your wonders to reign in Israel. But can they happen with Gentiles? Can they happen with unclean people? Can they happen to the worst of people around us? And Jesus' answer here is yes, that he can bring life. Every single one of us is a fruit of that promise. Amen? I'm pretty sure none of us were born in Israel. And... So thank God for his compassion, and thank God that he can bring life in foreign places, in the wrong places. And so going forward, the question that we need to answer today that this feeding really does answer is this idea of can Jesus be the one to bring life out of death, and can he be the one to satisfy our every need? And so let's go back to our mission statement here. Can you bring life out of the desolation? And so we need to talk about two things before we really end today. We need to talk about desolation, and we need to talk about satisfaction, what it means to be truly satisfied. Because as Americans, I think we have a little warped view of what satisfaction is. We don't really ever want to be satisfied. We want to be full, or we want to have more than enough, or we want to have so much uncontrollably more than we need. And so let's talk about desolation real quick. This is the, just the dictionary definition of desolation. Desolation is the state of complete emptiness or destruction. 
or another one was a solitude, an uninhabited region, or a waste. Now, how many times in life have you felt desolate? How many times are your circumstances in life looking really bleak, that you have no hope that anything good can come out of it? Now, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids, whether it's your career, whether it's just this idea of where you thought you would be in life right now. When I turned 30, I had a really hard time because I was almost nowhere that I wanted to be in life. I had a couple of the really big things, like my wife, and later on that year, my son. But 30 was hard. I was in a desolate place when I turned 30 because I just had this idea of where I wanted to be that I wasn't yet. And I honestly probably would have asked the same questions as the disciples. Like, God, can you do something here in this situation? Because I don't see how there's any hope. Thank God my life didn't end at 30, and I'm still here. Um, so then let's go to satisfaction. What is this passage talking about satisfied? At this story, we see this group of people who are hungry. Jesus wanted to give them something. He wanted to feed them, and so he does. He takes these seven loaves. He asks the disciples, what do we have? Seven loaves. Somehow, seven loaves goes from Jesus praying through it, passing it out, and then they have seven baskets full at the end. Even that, I don't want to underplay how miraculous this is. This is an incredible thing that Jesus did. Only God creates life like, he, uh, like this. But then it says at the end here that all of the people were satisfied. Satisfi satisfaction is the state of having your needs, expectations, or desires met. You know, it's not necessarily a 401k plan. It's not retirement. It's not, oh, okay, I know what I have tomorrow, necessarily, though there were leftovers. It was that all their needs were met. You know, I think that that's such a profound question for us to wrestle through, especially here as living in the New York City area. When was the last time that you just wanted your needs met, your expectations met, and not asking for more than we should have? Or when was the last time that we, let our that we didn't let our circumstances dictate how satisfied we were in Jesus? You know, the way that I picture satisfaction, which I really like, desolation, it said that it's a solitude place, right? And I kind of think of satisfaction in terms of, of solitude. Can you imagine yourself sitting before God and saying, I'm okay. You're enough for me. You can bring me life, and I don't want life that doesn't come from you. The things, the expectations that I might have, the needs that I might think that I have, the desire, especially the desires that I think I, are important. Like, can we put those below where Jesus is? That's a really honest and hard, difficult question. I think a temptation is just to not spend any time of it, not invest our hearts in that question at all, and just say, yeah, okay, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. That's why I like to picture myself sitting in front of God when I'm doing this. It's like, am I really okay with, in Jesus? Am I really okay with only what I get out of his hand? Do I feel like I need to work harder to achieve something that I want? If there's something that I'm praying through over and over and over again and I'm not getting, what does Jesus have to say about this? And so there are only two things left that, that we need to talk about. The first one 
The first thing that I want us to talk about is the response. How do we get from desolation to solitude? Because this passage does nothing for us in our life if it doesn't show us how we can go from a dead place into trusting Jesus and the life that he gives us. And I think it's really quite simple. We go to Jesus with what we have, our issues. We give it to him, remember? He said, how many loaves do we have? They found out. He prayed over them, and then he gave it back what they needed. So, so we can do that with our own lives. We go to Jesus with our marriage, with our jobs, with our expectations, with our desires, with our family issues, with the loss of a loved one, with death in the family. And we give it to Jesus, and we say, hey, Jesus, I can't do anything with this on my own. Can you take it? And then we wait for what he gives back. We wait for the life that he has to give us back. You know, I think a lot of times this is really just an issue of the heart and of perspective. Like, do you really allow God the time in your heart to change your perspective? Because the, the scenario might never change. We can have peace even though, even though nothing in our lives change. But do, can we give God the space in our heart to say, hey God, I have this issue and I need you to give me back something that is blessed by your hands. And then the last thing that we need to talk about is the bread. I think it's so funny. In Sundays, I think I conjured up this image of, yeah, the bread and the fish, right? Because that's what you learn in Sunday school. And that's what actually really happens. There's bread and there's fish. But in this passage, I'm blown away by how the emphasis is not on the fish. The fish is almost even an afterthought. They're like, he asks them, how, many bread, how much bread do we have? And they're like, oh, and we have these fish. Great, let me pray over them and I'll give them out too. But what does the bread really mean? You know, the bread is such a powerful image in scripture. It's so cool and it's so beautiful and it's really profound. Bread in a lot of times is a symbol of life, is a symbol of hope. You know, back when they were still in the desert, when, before they were even a people, before they were a nation, God showered manna on them, and it was enough for the whole early nation to live off of. Later on, when Jesus was here, he instituted the, his, what we call the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. And he said, what, he gave us his bread, that's his body, and his blood, that's his life. So bread is an image that God loves going back to over and over and over again. And then we also stumble upon John 6. And it's such a, such a life-giving, such an important part of Jesus' message. Tony, if you can go to John 6. John 6 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give me this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, as I prepared for this message, as I prepared my heart for it, I just kept on coming back to this, that we had a need. God saw that need, and he made a way. That in this feeding is really just a little picture of all of what Jesus was going to do here. What God always intended Jesus to do was to come here and to be the bread of life that we all needed. To be the bread of life that we all need to no longer hunger or thirst. 
I love how this story starts with, no one asked Jesus for this bread. He himself, out of his compassion, saw that, that they needed this, and he came and gave it. And I also love how he promises that he will be the bread that we need going forward. You know, when we talk about desolate places, when we talk about being unsatisfied with life, with our scenario, everything, you know, there really is one place to turn to, and that's Jesus. That's why prayer is so important, guys. That's why putting our souls near God, near His Spirit, is so important. Quieting ourselves, thanking Him, emptying our heart to Him, because He then can give us back everything that we need. You know, we carry so many burdens. We carry so many issues. And Jesus says, just come to me. Know who I am. Come to me. And I'll give you back everything that you need. So in the season, before the, especially before the year ends, you know, it's a reflective time. Let's just commit ourselves to giving God the room, Jesus the room, to come and inform the way we view ourselves, our life, our wounds, everything. We'll give him all of our issues, and then we'll just take back what he has to give us back. Amen? So let's worship a little more. The communion table is always open here at this church. If you need to come, remember what he did for you. Come do that. Um, but definitely leave something in his hands here and then see what he does with it. Maybe not even in just in this moment, but in the next week, in the next month. You can, do, you can do a lot in a month with Jesus. Amen? So let's worship a little more. Thanks, guys.